This is Marvin Jones Jr., and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by RosterWatch.com, the all new as of this morning, RosterWatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap and joining me today is a man you've never uh, heard here on this podcast or on the radio show, but you've probably seen on your Twitter timelines or just somewhere based on <laughs> how much he is out there. His name is Pete Overzet. You can find him on Twitter at Peter Overzet. I first came to know Pete from his work on the Swole cast, but he also has the Ship Chasing podcast, Lowell's. Um, he's, he also writes in the Fantasy Life newsletter that we would recommend everybody go and get our great friends uh, over there at the fantasy life and the fantasy life app, of course, partners with us at roster watch. And if you want links to everything that Pete does, cause it really is a ton of it. You can find it all uh, at Peter That's O V E R Z E T.com. What kind of name is Overzet? P is that, is, is that um, you kind of look, look like you're like Swedish or Danish or something. What, What's the nationality? Yeah, you're right on the you're on the right track. It's Dutch. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a, a Dutch name. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like I think 95 percent Dutch based on both my my sides of the family. My my mother came my my mother's parents came here from from Sweden. I think that I I, I think that's kind of from the same part of the world. And I'll tell you what, their food sucks. There's not really much good food. It's all uh, it's all like uh, jarred and pickled like fish. Stuff like that. All the cookies that you get, they don't have much, very much sugar in them. Just a whole lot of butter. I think that's because they had to preserve them over the winter. Was there any kind of thing that you liked? Any kind of Dutch, uh, you know, I mean, they make the Dutch ovens there. Is there any kind of special dish that you kind of liked? So the one that always stands out, and I remember when I was in elementary school, you had to, you know, make some dishes that, you know, represented your heritage. <laughs> right, yeah. And the one really good uh, family recipe we had was called Oli Bolin, and it's almost like these Dutch donuts, and they have, you know, just flour, sugar, salt, yeast, eggs, like the typical stuff, but then it has powdered sugar on them, and they're kind of like a, a funnel cake meets a donut, and, and those are really good. We never had anything like this. What? what I, like I told you, we had these we had these spritz cookies that didn't even have any, have any sugar in them. You got only only bowling funnel cakes. That's Un, right. Unbelievable! I'm swindled at every turn here. Um, <laughs> feels like Devonte Smith has been uh, swindled. I'm going to talk to you about some of these news and notes and these some of these headlines that are coming out of camps. But first, I kind of just wanted to talk to you about structurally. I know that you do all these best ball streams and stuff like that, and you talk a lot about the zero RB stuff and zero RB is clearly a popular deal. We've had guys like Mike Leone on here that have talked about it. Um, there's definitely a hive though of you guys, man, that are the real, real zero RB dudes, you know, like the real, like the real zero RB guys. So whenever you are putting together these rosters, 
do you and just just say just, just say best ball what's the what's the what's the latest that you've waited for a running back and what's what's common and what's sort of the latest yeah i mean uh i do most of my best ball drafting on underdog and there's definitely been a sea change uh in the past month or so with adps i mean even last year and earlier this offseason it was a pretty balanced as far as where running backs and wide receivers were being drafted uh wide receivers are getting really pushed up now uh and so yeah you're kind of having to react with that so uh, I do think people are kind of following the data and how that shook out last year. There are basically three really successful strategies last year. It was the hyper fragile where you took three running backs early and then no more at all. It was the anchor running back, single elite RB, then wait a long time. And then the zero RB. And basically what all those have in common is avoiding running backs largely in rounds, you know, three through seven or eight where wide receivers are historically better bets. So it makes sense that drafters are kind of now chasing those trends. And yeah, I've, I've been anywhere. I, I mix, I've literally done hundreds of drafts on underdog this year. So I've done all kinds of different strategies, but sure. There's been drafts where I haven't taken my first running back until the 10th or 11th round. <laughs> You're such a fucking sicko. And so whenever, whenever that happens, so how do the, so obviously in those drafts, you're, so if you go eight rounds or something like that without drafting a running back, you don't go with the modified zero RB or whatever they're, what the hero RB they're calling it this year. Yeah. Uh, um, if you if you don't if you don't do that and you really and you legitimately do have to wait on these running backs for one, what are you doing? At the, I mean, are you just totally bumping up the tight ends? You're making sure that you get an elite kind of vanity tight end. You're making sure you get a running quarterback. Or is it just you're seeing what wide receiver value falls to you? I know that every draft is different and every every it's like every draft is it's no snowflake. But it, is, is the is the general calculus that you want to get those two, at least those two onesie positions, quarterback and tight end, be able to get those vanity players in there as part of that strategy? Yeah. And I think, I think that's the one thing when people get tripped up on like the kind of extreme strategies, it's like you, you need to think about how much capital you're spending on a certain position. So if I'm using a bunch of my early picks on wide or on, or a bunch of my later picks on running backs, cause I'm behind there, I'm going to be more spray and praying. I might grab six, seven of those. And then because I know I need to use extra spots at running back, that means I need to free up those extra spots elsewhere. So getting an elite tight end and an elite quarterback, so you only have to take two from those onesie positions, kind of facilitates that. And then the opposite is true. If you go hyper fragile and you take three running backs early, like I've seen teams, I did one recently, you could start Christian McCaffrey, CEH, Najee Harris. I didn't draft a single running back the rest of the draft. And uh, you mentioned you talked with Leone. I mean, he's talked about this a lot too. We want to draft as if we're right. So we're drafting if all three of those running backs are smashed. Now, what do I need to do? I need to deploy more capital at wide receiver, and I'm going to probably draft 10 of them. So to me, it's less about the specific avenue you want to take, running back early, wide receiver early, and then just making sure that you're making smart decisions after that. It's kind of like, if this is true, then what? If my running back smash early, okay, now I need a bunch of wide receivers because I'm not going to have that firepower that the early wide receiver teams are going to have. It's, it's the betting on being right. And it's like we talk about in best ball. It's like the stupidest thing you can do is if 
if you do take like a Zeke Elliott early or something like that, that's not the like that shouldn't be a Tony Pollard team, right? It's like because you know you want one or the other to kind of to kind of happen. You def you definitely don't want to be hedging your bets there. If you do, whenever you are finding yourself in these situations, are there any running backs who let's just say you don't go the hyper fragile and what hyper fragile? I think he explained it pretty well, but basically that's just like where you say, look, if I, I love these running backs, and if they fail, they fail. And that's just that, you know, this, this, this is going to be, a, you know, we, we can throw this entry into the dump, um, but they're good. Right. So you mentioned the kind of those guys that you would take at the top. If you don't go with the hyper fragile and you do go with more of a true zero RB, who are some of your favorite zero RB targets that you can get later? And when does it start? Like, does it start at like the guys like Damian Harris and like Melvin Gordon and Michael Carter and stuff? Or is it, I mean, is it even past there where you still, like, where do you start? Yeah, I kind of, I think of them as detours. It's been my my buzzword. I've been saying there's a few places that I'll take detours. I do really like the rookie running backs, Javante Williams and Travis Etienne. We kind of see year after year that normally one of these running backs, sometimes more, kind of come out. I don't want to say out of nowhere. They're highly drafted still, but they finish strong. They're league winning hammers in the playoffs. We saw it last year with Jonathan Taylor. And so I do think there's a nice chance that Etienne or Javante Williams could finish the season really strong. So I don't mind grabbing one of those guys when they slip. You mentioned that Damian Harris tier. You're also looking at the San Francisco running backs there. I like both mm-hmm. Moster and Sermon. And then once you get a little rounds, uh, a little later than that, I mean, I love AJ Dillon. I like Tony Pollard. Ronald Jones is there. Um, so there's some good options there. So yeah, and the thing, because the wide receivers are getting pushed up, there's honestly running backs I like in about every round. You know, you go a little further. Okay, then I'm grabbing Gus Edwards, and then I'm in the, my pass catching back. So I'm grabbing some Jamal Williams or Naheem Hines. So that's the kind of nice thing about going wide receiver heavy is I like the running backs in a lot of rounds. Whereas when you go running back heavy, the wide receivers are getting so far pushed up that you're really having to reach. Like you're you're taking these guys two three rounds ahead of ADP just because the rooms are so uh, wide receiver crazy. Is there a bet for just let's just say you're drafting in your season long redraft league? Is there and but but you take this mentality sort of into that? Is there a better spot to pick from than the twelve hole when you can sometimes start out with a guy like you? You could start out with a Devonte Adams and a Tyree Kill or a Tyree Kill and a Stephon Diggs or like one of those starts. Is, is that something that is that something that you like? Because even me as a guy who really you know a little bit more traditional and kind of conservative about <laughs> kind of liking my running backs and making sure that I. I, I I have that stuff um that I have that stuff on 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 at least a little bit of lock to start. I love starting out with two wide receivers there at the twelve hole because even if you're like me and and you just feel like man man now I I can't get behind the eight ball at running back. It feels like there's always like you see kind of some kind of David Montgomery or Chris Carson or one of these idiots falls to you next at the three four turn. Yeah, and I think too the thing that also really so I've been playing a lot. Underdog has the best ball mania two tournament million dollars up top. I mean, there's literally 155,000 teams in this. So (laughs) how do you view a large field tournament like this? In a way, it's a lot like the Millie maker. Obviously, it's structured differently in the way you advance throughout the groupings is different. But that same idea of you got to be a ton of teams versus your 12 team home leagues. Your goal is a lot different. I know against my dumb friends from high school that I can lose (laughs) my running back in the first round and still probably beat them by hustling on the waiver wire. So I definitely think about it much differently then. But yeah, I love those back of the of the round starts, especially when you can get, you know, one of Hill, Diggs, and now Devontae Adams, now that the Rogers stuff is cleared up. 
And the way I, you know, often think about it is when you're drafting the running backs there, let's just say it's the Joe Mixons, the Nick Chubbs, like we like those guys, but you're competing against the Christian McCaffrey team. Like we all love Chubb and Mixon, but those guys aren't all things equal, keeping up with Christian McCaffrey. Like he's blowing them out of the water. So I'm yeah, always thinking right. a bit, how do I combat the team that got Dalvin Cook, the team that got Christian McCaffrey? Well, I think Diggs and Adams and Hill can match those guys ceiling for ceiling during some of those weeks. And so to me, that's kind of a way of saying like, I'm not going to get 80 cents on the dollar on your pick. I'm going to try to combat you just with a different position. So, all right. So uh, that's how that's, that's sort of some of the, that's some of the construction stuff I want to talk about. Let's talk about some of these news and notes from camp. First, what, what like, I, 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 I don't even know the exact city or whatever, but like, where, where, where are you even from? Where are you from Pete? I was born in Colorado. I went to uh, college out in San Diego and now I live out uh, just outside of the Boston area. Oh, so you so you came you went from out west to 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 become an east coast coast coastal elite. Yeah, exactly. Yep i I went from just the salt of the earth midwestern boy to now a, a coastal elitist that looks down on everyone. Have you have you taken up bagels? You know, I see this is my thing. I'm not a breakfast guy uh, mm-hmm. at all. I don't eat breakfast, so I don't have many bagels. I was in New York a few weeks ago and I and I grabbed a bagel, but otherwise not too many bagels for me. I've never been a bagel guy. I've never under, I've, you know, I'm from Texas. We don't really have bagels down here, but I know, man, every time I go up there, people are crazy. People just have really 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 serious takes about their, about their bagels in Boston and in, in New York and stuff like that. That's interesting. Do you, you don't eat breakfast. Is that like intermittent fasting kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I started doing it probably three or four years ago and it just, uh, it clicked for me. It worked for me. Uh, and just naturally not very hungry in the morning. I got good results. I like how, uh, I feel when I exercise on a fasted stomach. So yeah, it, uh, it's not for everyone, but it works for me. What's your feeding window? Like how long is it? I generally eat uh, a late lunch. I'll probably have lunch here in about an hour after this at around 2.30. And then I'm normally having dinner around 6.30 or 7. So I'm like four to five hour eating window most days. That's a big time. That's a big time deal. Do, do you drink coffee without sugar or any tea or anything in the mornings? Yeah, I do. I do the coffee. I definitely need that. Uh, but I don't. I do it, yeah, just black. So you're uh, staying in that, that fasted state. It feels it feels good to it feels good to do that stuff, man. It's it's a it's something you got to kind of kind of commit to and stick with it. But yeah, it's a it's a neat it's a neat thing. If you think about it, like I'm all I'm doing is I'm skipping breakfast. It makes it easier for me. But Jesus, dude, by around this time of day, I'm fucking starving. Whenever I don't, whenever I don't eat. All right, uh, we we said Devontae Smith looks like he's going to be out for what one to one to one to two weeks. Do you think that this affects him at all? I mean, he's a rookie coming in. He's probably going to miss a couple of preseason games. Do you, do you even care? Does this even matter to you? Yeah, no, it does matter to me. I, I, I didn't have a ton of Devonta Smith in drafts. I mean, I liked him fine as a prospect. I, I was hoping he'd slide to me in some dynasty drafts, but man, his price has been rich even before the injury. I mean, he he's getting drafted ahead of where CD lamb was getting drafted 
last year at this time. Uh, and I, I don't know. I just think with that situation with Hertz, with Rager, with Goddard, we now might have Ertz coming back. I don't think it's just so clear that he was going to waltz in and be the kind of unchallenged number one target hog in that offense. And now you throw along an injury that could slow things down there. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty down on him. I guess the one thing is maybe this presents a buying opportunity. Like if his ADP slides, you know, a few rounds back into like the eighth round where he's more around the Marquise Brown, Will Fuller types, then I feel like he might be a buy, but you were having to take him over guys like Tyler Boyd, Michael Gallup, like established guys in really good offenses. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm actually hoping this leads to a buying opportunity. The 2021 Roster Watch Cheat Sheet is available now at rosterwatch.com. The revolutionary cheat sheet to change fantasy football forever is back only at rosterwatch.com. Winning fantasy players don't use outdated magazines or expensive draft software that's impossible to navigate. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. That's it. Three rules. Guys, it couldn't be easier. The Roster Watch Cheat Sheet. An expert quality draft is guaranteed as long as you follow the rules, the three simple rules that a toddler could follow. This sheet is magical, it's mystical, it is mythical. It is the Roster Watch Cheat Sheet only at rosterwatch.com. Well, uh, speaking of Michael Gallup, it, it feels like it feels like CeeDee Lamb has been the biggest standout in all of Dallas camp. I was reading this morning on The Athletic. They were talking about the the you know the biggest standouts from camp, and they say number one on the tier by himself has been CeeDee Lamb. I mean, you've seen the highlight clips. I, I know this I know this you live on on social media, but like um he's just he's so good. And fantasy players loved him anyway and everything. But man, his his ADP's creeping up. It, it wasn't, but like a probably like three weeks ago, a month ago, that his ADP converged with Amari Cooper. Whenever Amari Cooper, the news came out that he was going to be missing some of camp. And now it's like there's a there's a big difference between CeeDee Lamb and Amari. Um do, what do you think about you mentioned Gallup. Are you into him this year? I know that a lot of people are into Gallup. Uh, and what about CD? Is he beginning to become just maybe a little bit too pricey for you, considering all the other wide receivers that they have there to take care of in Dallas? Yeah, CD is a tough one because he's a guy that we just want to like. I mean, he checks all those boxes, highly drafted, really good, efficient year. If Dak hadn't gotten hurt, uh, he's probably going at the late second, early third, along with Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown, because he had racks up more numbers last year. So I'm trying to weigh that too, where I'm like, how much meat on the bone is there when you're taking him early third, which is where you're seeing him go in some of these underdog drafts. I think he can still pay that off, but I understand it. And I, I don't want to take him over like AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, but once you slip into that, Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson tier. I kind of like shrug my shoulders and I'm like, all right, if you want to take CeeDee Lamb, I don't mind it. I do like Gallup a lot. I, I mean, it's it's nothing shocking to say I'm excited about this Dallas offense. I think it's going to be really good. And there is like in these tournaments, there is some fragility to it where if Amari, who is struggling with an ankle injury right now, or Gallup, who hasn't necessarily always been healthy get hurt, then you're looking at CD or whatever, two of the three, then becoming really big target monsters where they could go from getting seven to eight targets a game to 10 to 12 targets a game. So I like making bets on this Cowboys offense. And it does really feel like if CD lamb was, you know, drafted say next year where Calvin Ridley's going this year, like early second, mid second, I don't think that would surprise anyone. So I, I think there's some meat on the bone for uh, CD lamb to pay off his ADP. There's some there's some meat on uh, there's some meat on OBJ's uh, uh, OBJ's 
knee, but no, no brace. The athletic I was reading earlier, they, they're call, they're saying that he might be a medical marvel with the way that he's out there moving. Do you still believe in Odell Beckham Jr.? Do you think he can still be anything? I know that it's it shit sounds like with the Cleveland Browns just extending Nick Chubb. It feels like it's probably gonna be a run heavy offense with him and Kareem Hunt. You have Jarvis Landry there. They've been talking about their plans for, uh, you know, they've been talking about their plans for uh, Austin Hooper. That it's like. Are you into OBJ at all? Can he can he still be the Odell Beckham of old? Yeah, he's a guy that I've been drafting a decent amount. Like the hearing the reports that he's completely healthy, that his chemistry with Baker is looking good early in camp. Uh, that definitely makes me feel better. And I mean, we don't want to try to chase these outlier situations. But when I ask myself, like, who could be the Stefan Diggs? of this year where it's a player that's already proven himself. We know is extremely talented, but is falling, you know, to the fifth, sixth round, which is where Diggs was going last year. Odell kind of checks those boxes for me. He had a weird year last year. You know, we can say whatever about his kind of off the field issues, but with the injuries, the Browns also had a weird season. I know Leone too, my buddy will mention, they had those really bad win games that I think kind of muted their offensive production. Like three of them. Yeah, three of them. So when you kind of take on some of those variables or or think through those through, I really do think Odell could be set up for a bounce back year. And if he were to crush and if this offense were to go a little bit more pass happy, I don't think it would surprise anyone if he finished as a top 10 wide receiver. No one questions the talent. So I'm I'm in on Odell. I definitely like mixing him in there at the five, six turn. Uh, Hollywood Brown has a hamstring that now they're saying is worse than originally expected. Does that even matter to you? And should it matter to fantasy football players who are serious about winning? Yeah, it's uh, it's always tough with these things to know, like, how much should I be overreacting right now? We still have, you know, what, five, six weeks until the season starts. Obviously, if it's just a little, you know, aggravation, you could heal from that. On the other hand, it could be a thing that gets re-aggravated and they have added competition for Brown this year in the form of Sammy Watkins and Rashad Bateman, who continues to get glowing camp reviews. So it's a little concerning. I I think, uh, you know, you don't want to, I use it as like tiebreakers. Like I'm not going to reach a half a round for Marquise Brown, even if I have Lamar Jackson, because now there's a little bit of risk in it. Whereas I'm still happy to scoop him up if he falls, but I will say I continue to get more and more excited about Rashad Bateman. It does really seem like he could be a a difference maker in year one, especially if the Ravens go a little bit more pass happy than they have in the past. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Bateman's good, man. He's good. You watch some of these videos and he looks good. So I think I think that with the Hollywood Browns, what a, what a bad pick Hollywood Brown was. <laughs> well, what about what about Saquon Barkley? He's still not practicing. Do you have any like? Are you? I mean, we on the latest roster watch cheat sheet. I I, I moved him down to where I. I mean, I'm not comfortable. I don't think. Let me even just look where. I, I'm not comfortable taking Saquon Barkley until maybe right at the one-two turn. At this point, it just feels like. I mean, he could miss, I don't know if he's going to miss time at the beginning, but man, there's been just report after report that it doesn't, he's going to be eased in at the very least. Where, do you, where are you on Saquon Barkley? Are you, are you bullish? Or, I mean, compared to what the com- current sentiment is, or are you, are you pushing back on it? Or, or do you think that, do you think that, uh, you know, that he probably should be falling right now based on all these reports and he still hasn't shown up? Yeah, I know it's it's kind of all over the place. The team has already said, right, that they want to ease him in, even coming back, which is 
kind of concerning. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I still don't mind taking stabs. I've been doing some of these FFPC main event drafts. I, I took him at near the, the one, two turn, because again, you're just playing for that monster playoff upside. And, you know, after McCaffrey and cook, like Saquon is a guy that we know can be that full blown bell cow, not going to get game scripted out of games. And we think this offense is going to be a little better this year now with, with uh, Kenny Galladay coming over as well. So I don't mind taking stabs on him. He's not a guy though. that I'm like, all right, I'm going all in and scooping every falling Saquon Barkley. I'm being cautiously uh, optimistic about it. And yeah, I, I would make sure if I had one draft, if I could only do one fantasy league draft for the year, I think I'm passing on Saquon Barkley, but he is a really good, you know, risk reward proposition. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a good way to put it. And it's certainly not the stuff where it's like, we always talk about the value in these early best ball drafts and everything. And it's just like, I look at some of these early best ball drafts where I feel like I was getting such value on Saquon at like five, not knowing that this was going to happen like this. And that's how you can get screwed. You know, you, you can get really, you can get really ahead on the Najee Harris's and the Travis Etienne's. These dudes, you know, are just their ADPs are just going to, fly up but you can definitely get screwed with these situations that you just don't foresee coming like 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 saquon's okay just a, just a few more for you here pete and then i'll let you get out um what about the los angeles rams running backs because daryl henderson xavier jones and jake funk are all now getting work with the ones They've talked about how Daryl Henderson is definitely the lead back but they're going to need to manage him it's about his availability and making sure that he's going to be able to stay healthy and be able to stay on the football field right now with their what Jordan Rodrigue was saying. And her report was that the team has told her that they're getting these guys in with the ones so they can begin to evaluate how the split will look between these guys and what portion of the rush share that they might have coming into the season, which means to me that they're looking about ways to sort of diagnose and create the recipe for some sort of committee do you have thoughts about Daryl Henderson and do you have any idea, like what's your optimistic and do you have an optimistic case, maybe a pessimistic case for him as far as where you think he might, where he might fall as far as a touch share? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the optimistic case is, is pretty easy to make in that, you know, he looked good last year on limited action before Cam Akers looked amazing and they gave the full reins to him. But it, we've kind of see this stuff in backfields, right? Where it's like, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are in a split. Nick Chubb is worth more than Kareem Hunt. But if Nick Chubb were to go down, Kareem Hunt would be more worth more than Kareem Hunt, or uh, sorry, Nick Chubb with Kareem Hunt. Just right. kind of the fact that there's no one behind him and you would grow into this full-blown bell cow role. And I think that's on the table right now for Darrell Henderson. I am less worried about kind of the guys in the backfield right now. I think Xavier Jones and Funk could be fine, but I'm, I'd be more worried about them bringing in a veteran and really muddying this up. But the team has said that they don't plan on doing that. I kind of don't believe them, but if this holds, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Darrell Henderson's a really solid pick right now. Like I prefer him over, you know, Mike Davis and miles Gaskin kind of in that same range. And I think people get really anchored to ADP and it's like in our heads, Darrell Henderson mm -hmm. was an 11th round pick. I have lots of 11th round shares of him in both the main event and on underdog. And now it just feels gross to take him. But if they yeah. don't sign someone like he should probably be a third, fourth round pick, like where Miles Sanders and Deandre Swift are going. I don't think it's that crazy. Do you, just, so, all right, let's just say that nobody gets, no, no one gets signed. Do you then, so you'd like it better than miles. You do you like it better than miles Sanders. If nobody else gets signed. 
No, I, I like him more than Miles Gaskin. I still prefer Sanders, but I'm just saying I think you can make the case with this offense. And that's another thing I think people are discounting right now. It's like you look at the Rams pass catchers, they're all going at about the same ADPs they were last year with Jared Goff. And now they have mm-hmm. Matthew Stafford. I think this could be a really good offense. One of those where the running back, starting running back, could just fall his way into 12, 13 touchdowns just by them being in the red zone a ton. It would just one more on him, like um, for Henderson. Would you, if nobody comes in, would you like him better than Travis Etienne? Because you mentioned Travis Etienne was one of your, what'd you call it, like a detour or something. So <laughs> I'd imagine a guy you're kind of interested in. Do you like him around the Travis Etienne range? Like, would you like Daryl Henderson more than that? Would you like him more than Josh Jacobs? I'm just trying to figure out like where, because I know you would like it better than Mike Davis or Miles, or you yeah. like it better than Mike Davis or Miles Gaskin, even sight unseen as far as an Adrian Peterson or some dirt ball like this getting called in, right? Yeah. What if what if there's no Adrian Peterson knocking at the door? Like they're saying, do you like him in that Josh Jacobs, Travis Etienne, that kind of range? Or are you still taking those guys ahead of Daryl Henderson? I think that's a very, I think that's the sweet spot. I think he, he should be going kind of around where those, those rookie running backs are going Javante and uh, ETN. I think that's about the sweet spot. And obviously I think you probably knock him down a little bit. uh, If they sign someone, Uh, then I think we have to reevaluate that. But yeah, I, I think he's a, I think he's a really nice pick. And, you know, we've seen examples in years past where something becomes evident you know, I, I remember the the Arian Foster year where we were watching him tear up preseason and it was like, holy cow, this guy's going to be their starting running back. But because he's like, oh, he's the undrafted guy, it just feels weird to make him a round three pick. We don't move him up enough. And I feel like that might happen with Henderson right now where because people are still so anchored, you, you're going to get a deal on him if you can get him in the sixth or seventh round. Yeah, speaking of Miles Gaskins, I, I want to get like. You had the you had the for people who might not know Pete had the bit the whole bit about Patrick Laird and the <laughs> playing Patrick Laird in DFS and he he actually became friends with Patrick Laird out of this <laughs> whole deal, which is so funny. Um, I without going against the confidence of your friend, has has he told you anything about what's going on with this Miles Gaskin? Or is is that why you hate Miles Gaskin? Has Patrick Laird told you there's going to be some sort of Sa- Savon Ahmed swindle or something like this? No, no, no. He, uh, I haven't gotten any Intel last year, last year with my, my buddy Davis Maddock, we did a draft with Laird. It was his kind of college buddies league. And he basically told us like miles Gaskin is the guy right now. And of course we're fantasy guys and it just completely goes over our head and we <laughs> ignored it like idiots. So I do need to pump him for information right now. To me, it's just like in these backfields that are ambiguous, uh, I, I want to take stabs on the cheaper of the ambiguous options. And I want to try to avoid the guy that the market is feeling overconfident on. So Gaskin in a vacuum, I like him. Uh, but I do think they bring in Malcolm Brown reports from camp or he's looking really good. We've seen Malcolm Brown be a pain in the side for Darrell Henderson and Rams running backs before. I think that could play out here a little bit. And I just see it with similar situations. The Falcons, I think it's pretty ambiguous. Quadre Allison's apparently looking really good. They got the rookie JV and Hawkins. So I just want to be careful being so confident that yes, it looks good on vol on paper when you project the volume for these guys, but I think it's more uncertain than the market wants to give credit for. We came in with a bang talking about the Dutch funnel cakes. What are those things called? Uli Bolin. Yeah, Uli Bolin. That's a 
that thing sounds good. Um, uh, it's like a funnel cake mixed with a donut with, with powdered sugar on top. How can you fucking go wrong with that? I want one right now. Um, the uh, the the uh, the uh, final question. So we we came in with a bang. It's we'll, we'll go out with a whimper here with the with this last question. Um, but before we do, we'll just a quick uh, a reminder. You can find Pete on Twitter at Peter Overzet Roster Watch Nation. Please mobilize, unite, go go give our friend Pete a follow over there. You can find links to everything that he does, which is about a million things over at PeteOverzet.com. Hey Pete, before I ask this last question, um. What did you what did you think about the fact that after Evan Silva moved on from the Swole cast that you were the guy that they called to be Silva's replacement? Of all the people in the world to replace the hand in the dirt Silva guy, they call Pete Overzet. You seem to bring different things to the table. What was that? What did that whole conversation with I guess with Dan or whoever like what did that whole conversation sound like? I think uh yeah, it's like you you can't replace Evan Silva. I mean, who are who are you replacing Evan Silva with? I mean, are you I mean Matthew Barry's not doing the swole cast, you know? So it's like <laughs> there's there's no one really else to to grab. So I think they decided, what if we just change this from a hand in the dirt football show and just turned it into a full-blown comedy <laughs> podcast? And I think the power-ups at, at Roto Grinders were at peace with that decision. And so, uh, they, they plucked me to do it. So yes, I don't really think of it as filling Silva's shoes as much as let's just do a wildly different show than we were doing. Yeah. Well, it, it's uh, def- definitely love the Definitely love this. Wolk ask me. It's fucking awesome. And look, we all, we, we all know that Tyrod Taylor is not filling Deshaun Watson's <laughs> shoes. I'm not calling you the Tyrod Taylor to, to, to Deshaun Watson. I'm certainly not calling Silva Deshaun Watson, given recent, um, <laughs> but <laughs> Jesus. But anyway, so so Ty, Tyrod Taylor missed practice yesterday. Do you have the over? Uh, I'll I'll give you an over. What would you guess uh, the number of of interceptions that Davis Mills threw yesterday? Oh my goodness! In practice, yeah. I mean, holy cow! It seems to me like just you asking me the question. I'm going to say it was three or four. Let's go high. Let's say four. <laughs> it's five. So five. he threw he threw five 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 picks during during team drills. I mean, what the hell are we going to? Let, just let me ask you this: Is there a single Texans player that you're interested in for for for, for fantasy in the year of our Lord 2021? Um, I, so I, I've taken stabs on some of these guys. I don't mind mixing in, you know, Brandon cooks. He actually normally goes around where Marquise Brown's going. So maybe if we lose Marquise Brown here for a little bit, cook starts to look a little nicer in that range. And then I continue to hear good things about Nico Collins out of training camp. I mean, I don't want to again, you know, say that he's this year's chase Claypool, but like they're a little bit of kind of that, um, feeling there for him. If he's just this big body guy that comes in there and really doesn't have much competition for targets, but yeah, it's gross. Uh, especially with Anthony Miller now joining. So I'm with you. It does not feel good to draft Texans, but sometimes everyone feels the same way. And then these guys become pretty nice values. I've even taken some Philip Lindsay. I think he's probably a better pure rusher than, uh, David Johnson. And now it sounds like Mark Ingram might get cut. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm taking stabs here and there, but I never feel good about it. <laughs>